is a, is a light gas. It's a transparent, odorless, and it's the most common um, chemical element in the world. This is Net Zero, a podcast by the Florence School of Regulation about the energy transition and climate change. I am Joana Freitas, and in this series, I'm inviting myself into the minds of some truly insightful people with very different perspectives. We will be discussing what is happening across Europe, what are the challenges for utilities, what will be the benefits for the environment, and ultimately for citizens. Today, we are joined by Michel Azalbert, CEO of Angie's Hydrogen Business Unit, to discuss the role of green hydrogen in the energy transition. Michel, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jenna. It's a pleasure. Um, I'd like to start by um, addressing the, the stage on which green hydrogen has been developing. Uh, we know that green hydrogen has been in the news quite often lately. The European Commission has recently presented a very ambitious roadmap uh, for the development of green hydrogen until 2050. And in the US, President Joe Biden has promised to use renewable energy to produce green hydrogen, costing less than using natural gas. And in other countries like Chile, Japan, Saudi Arabia and Australia, they're also announcing major investments in green hydrogen. Could you start by giving us an overview of what is green hydrogen and its expected role in the net zero transition? Sure. Hydrogen is a, is a light gas. It's a transparent, odorless, and it's the most common um, chemical element in the world. So the, uh, the hydrogen is very abundant on Earth, but at the same time, very difficult to find its pure form. So it must be produced. And today, uh, to give you a, an high-level picture, hydrogen is uh, classified in uh, four main categories according to his um, mode of production. We have uh, on one side the, the gray uh, or black hydrogen. It's uh, produced from uh, steam methane reforming, mainly from, uh, from guys, but also from coal and oil. And in all cases, it produced um, a large quantity of uh, CO2 emission. Uh, when you produce uh, one kilogram of hydrogen, you produce at the same time uh, around 11 kilograms of, uh, of CO2. The second category, is the, the blue hydrogen. So it is, uh, first of all, gray hydrogen produced from steam methane reforming, but then you capture the CO2 emission in order to reduce them. So theoretically, it's less polluting uh, compared to a gray hydrogen. And at the end of the day, you can reduce by up to 80% of the total emission, but it's produced from fossil, uh, fossil resources. Third, you have uh, green or renewable hydrogen. So it's uh, viewed uh, today as the most promising solution for the energy transition. It's produced from electrolysis of water and based on renewable energies like solar, wind, uh, hydro, and there are no emission. And you also have a fourth category, which is called turquoise hydrogen. And it's hydrogen produced from pyrolysis of, uh, of fossil uh, gas and you split it into H2 and carbon directly. And again, no emission, but it's a less mature technology. So mainly for four types of colors and, um, and, uh, and, mid and potentially also uh, over shades of color. 
At the level of energy, uh, for us, we consider uh, renewable hydrogen as the missing link uh, of the energy transition. Why so? Uh, because first of all, it enables to manage the intermittency of renewables by storing large quantities of renewables over long period of time, from week to months. So it allows, uh, thanks to the storage, uh, the full decarbonization of the energy system. So it makes it possible to uh, to uh, to uh, to uh, to, uh, to have the sun shine at night. But in addition, uh, renewable hydrogen is also a decarbonization vector at the crossroads of several sectors, like industry, transport, construction, and also energy. We we often use the terminology Swiss, Swiss army knife because it is at the same time a decarbonized raw material, a feedstock for the industry. It's a green fuel for heavy-duty mobility. It's also a mean to store large quantity of energies, renewable energies over a long period of time. And it is also a green substitute to natural gas in the networks. So, as you see, hydrogen has thus a key role to play in the energy transition. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. It's quite clear and it seems that it's a quite um, plastic, if you will, um, um, solution that can be used in, in different in different uses. Um, I'd like to uh, discuss a little bit how these, this, um, this technology, this new um, solution has, uh, has been working in, in the past. Um, there has been there have been some false starts in the past, uh, but it seems to be gathering a strong momentum right now. Uh, according to Bloomberg NEF, uh, during 2018 to 2020, investments um, in green hydrogen were about 1.5 billion US dollars per year, um, while the International Energy Agency anticipates an increase to 38 billion per year in 2019 to 2040 and rising up to over 180 billion per year between 2041 and 2070. Uh, in your view, what is the different what is different now from previous hypes? What what are the key factors contributing for this renewed interest in hydrogen? Clearly it is not the first time. Uh, neither the, the second time hydrogen has been talked about but we think this time seems a bit different. For sure, green hydrogen is not yet competitive. Uh, it costs two to three times uh, today more compared to gray hydrogen. But we think that today uh, we are in the same kind of context or same momentum as we were 10 years ago with regard to solar PV. Uh, cost reduction of solar panel was triggered by public support mechanism. And in 10 years' time, costs have decreased by 80% and more than that. And, uh, and today, uh, feeding tariffs have already disappeared in some, in some countries. So we think that today, the many stimulus packages and plans that were announced very recently are, are a step into uh, that direction. It, uh, for us, it, uh, it demonstrates a shared awareness that hydrogen has an essential role to play in the energy transition. And uh, based on the recent study from the Hydrogen Council, hydrogen um, is supposed to contribute to 20% of the emission cost 
required to reach the two-degree scenario of the Paris Agreement. So we think that today the potential of hydrogen as a vector for decarbonization is recognized uh, as, uh, as, uh, as uh, this uh, is demonstrated, uh, first of all today by all the ambitious hydrogen strategies that have been announced. Uh, according to the BNF study, uh, today we have uh, 13 countries that have announced a specific plan. 11 are in preparation. 14 countries give support to pilot and demonstration project, project and 16 countries have initiated discussion. So a lot today. And uh, it is already the case, uh, practically speaking, um, in Europe, in, the, in some countries like uh, France, uh, Germany, Spain, uh, Portugal, uh, Italy, United Kingdom, uh, beyond Chile and Australia, beyond Europe and at European uh, level also. So uh, as a result, um, according to the BNF study, more than half of the global emission are now covered by a form of a net zero carbon target. Second, beyond the strategies announced that, uh, that the by the by, by uh, governments, there are today more and more commitments from the private uh, sector, from private players to reduce their carbon emission. Some industries and also heavy duty mobility players have committed to achieve carbon neutrality. And at the level of at NG, we are working already with some of them on concrete projects. This is the case as an example of uh, Anglo-American, who has uh, set themselves to complete carbon neutrality by 2040. And as an example, we are working today uh, with Anglo-American um, to uh, demonstrate jointly the first hydrogen mining truck in their mine in Mogala Quena in South Africa. So this gives you an example of, um, of uh, what, is, uh, what is ongoing today. So as a result um, of public and private uh, commitment, there is today a tremendous moment momentum. We've over, uh, with more than the 200 projects uh, already announced worldwide, all across the value chain of hydrogen. Uh, to, to give a bit uh, more details um, on this uh, portfolio of projects, we already have uh, six, 17 gigawatt scale uh, production projects uh, announced, uh, more than one gigawatt scale. Um, and uh, in countries like Chile, Australia, and also in Middle East, we also have 90 large-scale industrial projects around refinery, ammonia production, power production, methanol, steel, um, and other type of application. We have 53 projects around transport for hydrogen for trains, the ship, trucks, car, uh, um, different type of mobility application. We have also 40, uh, 43 integrated H2 economy uh, projects cross industry with different type of end uses. And, uh, and lastly, 23 projects around the infrastructures, so which um, entail uh, H2 distribution, transportation, conversion and storage. So all in all, you have a big bunch of projects. Um, more or less half of it is uh, in Europe and the rest is in Oceania, Asia, North America and, and Latin. Mm -hmm. 
an attendee level uh, beyond uh, we go i think we go beyond announcement uh, we were a front runner in the development of an industrial scale hydrogen economy worldwide we today have a, a, a quite sizable portfolio of pro pipe of project uh, around 30 projects underway in 10 countries uh, today we are more than 200 people dedicated to uh, to hydrogen and it goes beyond uh, the unit I'm, I'm leading. And we have uh, more, more than 100 years of experience in energy management and also um, more than 20 years experience in hydrogen through, um, through initially R&D uh, activities. So the purpose of, of NG uh, with regard to renewable hydrogen is to act uh -huh. uh, by developing projects and to accelerate the transition towards a carbon neutral economy uh, and uh, it's, uh, it goes both ways through the reduction of uh, energy consumption and providing services around that, and also by providing more environmental friendly solution to our customers in order to for them to reduce their carbon emission. So to, to conclude, uh, to answer to your question, we see today a big convergence between various players be it public or private, and also private uh, players all along the value chains, uh, including uh, technical experts uh, and uh, and uh, technical uh, providers, but also developers as us, and also uh, equity investors and lenders. That uh, and all that we think demonstrate today that the key conditions are now there for the takeoff of the real hydrogen economy. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to dive a little deeper on the use of hydrogen in hard to abate sectors that you mentioned, like heavy industry and, and transport. Um, around 40% of global greenhouse gas emissions now come from, from sectors like this. Um, and uh, according to Bloomberg NEF and the International Energy Agency, the proportion of hydrogen used, for example, in the transportation sector could rise by uh, 23 to 43% by 2050, but there seem to be um, still significant hurdles um, in decarbonizing these sectors, even using green hydrogen. Um, in some cases, technology solutions uh, are not mature. Um, the existing industrial facilities have long useful lives, making it hard to replace or refurbish. And in some instances, the large amount of renewable energy required for the production of green hydrogen may not be in place. How, how do you see um, the role of hydrogen in decarbonizing in particular industry and transport? And how can these hurdles be overcome in a reasonable timeframe consistent with um, all the decarbonization commitments uh, that have, have been made by 2030 and the net zero ambition uh, by 2050? Um, to deliver the, the, the ambitions uh, you mentioned, uh, we think that uh, scale and synchronization of all efforts now are key, of utmost importance. We need scale to optimize the hydrogen cost. And to, uh, to uh, deliver scale, what do we need today? We need customers ready to engage. And at NG today, we are demonstrating for the solution we are developing that uh, it's feasible to deliver this, uh, this solution and to, uh, and to uh, deliver package solution 
uh, all across the the, uh, the entire hydrogen value value chain and um, and leveraging uh, the expertise we have today, we can convince the customer that it's feasible and uh, and that we have uh, the technical solution, a cost effective one that uh, will enable us in the long term to uh, to reduce their carbon emission. Second, we need technology available at scale. And at NG, uh, today we are carrying uh, in-depth uh, work in co-creation with technology suppliers to prepare the design of industrial scale tools, tools that will maximize the economies of scale. So we are working with them in order to, to deliver and to achieve the cost reduction. And also we are working with other techno suppliers beyond the electrolyzer producers um, on other technology building block of the value chain, such as uh, compression and storage, in order to deliver uh, the large scale solution. Uh, so um, we need also bankable projects on which we can take investment decisions soon. The investment decisions, the investment decision will trigger the orders to the technology suppliers and, uh, and will trigger the cost reduction. So we need bankable projects, and uh, and to uh, and to deliver this project, what do we need? We need today developers like us, like NG, that uh, are able not only to design the technical solution, but also uh, to align and to synchronize what I call a synchronization all the actors around the project. So it's not only uh, the techno suppliers. But it is also for sure the customer ready to engage and to pay a premium for the for the product. But it is also the policymakers or the the public bodies that uh, on which we count uh, for the um, the early project, the first project to support this project in order to bridge the competitiveness gap. It is also um, dealing with the question of the permitting. It is also finding the right investors and financial players to support the development of the project. So we need to mobilize all these actors at the same time in order to deliver a bankable project. So um, it is, uh, it is uh, again, very important scale, synchronization, and right now. Right. Um, you mentioned early uh, some of the current challenges in terms of the cost difference between uh, green hydrogen and gray hydrogen. Um, current estimated costs for brown hydrogen are around 1.5 euros per kilo for the EU, highly dependent on natural gas prices and uh, disregarding the cost of CO2, while estimated costs for fossil-based hydrogen with carbon capture and storage are around 2 euros per kilo and green hydrogen anywhere between 2.5 and 5.5 euros per kilo. Um, what needs to happen in terms of demand, uh, CO2 prices, uh, electrolyzer and renewable energy costs for green hydrogen to become cost competitive with, um, you know, the fossil fuel based hydrogen. So closing the competitiveness gap uh, between renewable hydrogen and uh, grey hydrogen or hydrogen from fossil fuels is the key issue, as you mentioned. And the major answer is to develop industrial scale production capacities now. So again, scale and now. So schematically today, the cost of renewable hydrogen is composed of 50% more or less uh, by the cost of electricity, renewable electricity, 
and by 50% by the cost of electrolysis. And there is today a consensus of international experts, uh, such as uh, the Hydrogen Council or the international energy agencies, that uh, announces that uh, this gap uh, in competitiveness could be eliminated as early as 2030 due to the reduction of the production cost of renewable electricity on one side, mainly uh, offshore wind and also uh, PV, and on the other end, the productivity gains that could be achieved on the electrolysis part, thanks uh, to massification of the production, and also uh, to, uh, thanks to improvement in existing technology. As an example, to give you uh, some idea also of the cost uh, decrease we achieved in the past on solar panel, uh, the, last, uh, the last 10 years, according to a BNF, uh, BNF study, the price of modules of uh, solar panels has fallen by almost 90%. Concerning electrolyzers, according to BNF again, taking into account all the effects of uh, scale and improved production cost, the capex of electrolyzers have already fallen by 40 to 50% over the past five years. And you can imagine also um, that um, that it will continue to uh, to uh, to uh, to drop uh, significantly down uh, thanks to, uh, to to the additional uh, volumes that uh, we can uh, we can uh, create. So according to uh, to many studies, price competitiveness between green and grey hydrogen could be achieved as soon as 2030 in the best geographies, having abundant and cheap renewables. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier um, some of the challenges in the widespread adoption of, of green hydrogen. Um, while most experts agree that green hydrogen will be essential to meet the Paris Agreement goals, the need to build expensive electrolyzers and the additional costs to store, transport and deliver in comparison to fossil fuel have been raising concerns regarding its financial sustainability. Um, how do you see the role of different actors uh, like governments, uh, European policy, industry coalitions and consumers? How do these different actors um, need to play? Which role do they need to play to overcome these challenges? We need to play uh, all together into the same direction. Um, as I already mentioned, this is my motto. Uh, in order to bridge the competitiveness gap uh, between renewable hydrogen and grey hydrogen, we have to go all together at scale now. It's where we deliver the, the, the best, uh, the best, uh, the most cost-effective solution. However, we still have, in the early years, a competitiveness gap to, to bridge. But we are convinced that it will be only temporary. And we need today to, have, um, to create the condition for the investment uh, for the investment decision to be taken. And we need to create the condition today altogether uh, for this project to receive the necessary support they need in the early years. And it's, uh, it could be a legislative support, it could be a regulatory support, it could be a financial support, but we need all that in order to deploy um, altogether the hydrogen economy. So we have... Um, for sure, we can see that uh, that it's that it's um, 
that it will require a lot of investment to develop this hydrogen economy. But at the same time, uh, it has a lot of benefits. Uh, it will contribute, first of all, significantly to the reduction of, uh, of CO2 emission, especially for the hard to abet sectors. And it will also allow the integration of renewable energy sources into the energy system. Second, it will create jobs. And the European Commission estimates uh, that the investment needed in renewable and low carbon H2 in Europe will create 1 million jobs by 2050. And for sure, uh, third, it will foster economic growth all along the, the hydrogen value chain. So we need, uh, the support is needed, uh, but it will decrease over time thanks to economies of scales. So first project uh, to sum it up will prime the pump. They will trigger what we call the virtual cycle that will lead to, um, to, um, to uh, uh, big orders. Uh, and that will, these big orders will contribute to reduce the cost of electrolyzers, but also it will contribute to the, to reduce the cost of renewables because we will develop more renewables. So you see that it will accelerate over time thanks to the scale effect. And at the end of the day, we will be able to achieve altogether a full price competitiveness. So the more we invest today at a scale, the less we need in terms of support over time. Mm -hmm. um, yes, you, you were uh, very clear on, on what the role of, of financial support is there. Um, also, according to, to Bloomberg NEF, it would be required the rollout of around 150 billion US dollars of cumulative subsidies over the next decade to scale up the use of hydrogen in, in industry. And in addition, carbon pricing will also need be needed for hydrogen to compete with cheap fossil fuel in, in hard to abate sectors. Um, where is Europe, in your view, standing now in terms of energy policy to scale up the use of, of hydrogen? And um, what should be the key priorities for uh, the next years? I would say uh, that Europe is, to, Europe is today at the forefront. Uh, we have today uh, many uh, stimulus plans that have been announced uh, recently and that are a very, very good step into the right direction. And uh, this again attests uh, to uh, the recognized potential of hydrogen as a decarbonization vector. This is a, a very positive, positive signal, uh, but we also need to put in practice um, uh, sorry, this positive signal must must, um, must now also be put in practice. What does it mean? That uh, we have a huge ambition at European level, uh, 6 gigawatt of installed capacity by 2024 and 40 gigawatt by 2040. We need to deliver the project. Uh, so this is the role of, uh, of many players uh, like Engie uh, to... Um, to um, to originate, to develop, to construct, and to uh, and to operate uh, this hydrogen-based project. And today we have a sound pipe of sound pipe of project. So this is a clear commitment of players like us. However, in addition to uh, to these stimulus plans, to the financial support they offer in the short term, we do believe that we need also to continue to um, to um, to activate the hydrogen. A sector via free levers and at the same time in parallel all of them. For sure on the supply side, 
we need uh, subsidies or we need mechanism like a contract for difference to compensate, again, on a temporary basis, the competitiveness gap between renewable hydrogen and grey hydrogen. On the demand side, secondly, we think that we need to set quantified short and medium term targets for the industry, for the transport, elaborated between regions or countries in order to avoid uh, competition distortion. And also we think that we need to stimulate also the demand and maybe um, through public tenders around transport, for instance. And thirdly, and third, we think that we need to develop a, a roadmap for the decarbonization of the high energy system, gas and electricity, and followed by concrete action. Uh, what does it mean? Develop or pursue measure, measures that will help to maximize the share of market revenues. So putting in place market instruments that will reduce um, the amount of subsidies required. As an example, implementing a robust and sustained CO2 price signal in the ETS and non-ETS sectors will definitely help. Also, define a global classification of renewable and decarbonized gases and put in place a comprehensive, harmonized again and robust framework of guarantee of origin again will help as a market instrument. And it's important also to have this kind of market instrument interoperable and uh, on a cross-border basis. And it's important also in our view to differentiate between renewable and non-renewable cases to put the right price for the right product. And, um, and third, uh, the creation also of a trans-European market for renewable and low-carbon gases should also uh, help us uh, to, um, to, uh, to, 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 uh, to, to create the market mechanism. And lastly, I think what is important about regulation and like the Renewable Energy Directive, the RED, that uh, is uh, coming into place and that uh, has a big role to play uh, in the decarbonization in the trans of the transport sec sectors by setting targets of renewable, uh, renewable um, product. Uh, we think also it's very important uh, to, um, to, uh, to create the condition for renewable hydrogen to be uh, taken into account uh, with the right uh, multiplicator effects. Maybe it's a bit too technical, but it, has a, because it, but it has a big role to play in the implementation of this new regulation. And lastly, maybe uh, we think also it's important to implement potentially storage obligation in order to prepare for the flexibility of the energy system. The more, the more you will have in the future renewable energy, the more flexibility you will need to, uh, to manage the dem demand and, uh, and production uh, intermittency. And maybe also, uh, in addition, we think that uh, it could help also to create the market and to create long-term demand to, fi to fix, to set targets, uh, to inject a, a limited percentage of uh, renewable hydrogen into the gas network. It will allow uh, to create a sustainable demand and to give visibility to the investors in order to take their investment decision on this project. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you mentioned Europe's roadmap for the development of, of green hydrogen. Um, the EU hydrogen strategy uh, proposes this uh, growth to boost hydrogen, the hydrogen sector in three phases um, against the current electrolyzer install capacity base of around 0.1 gigawatt. The EU targets 6 gigawatt by 2024 and 40 gigawatt by 2030, with a working assumption of 500 gigawatt by 2050. During these three phases, the Commission estimates investments ranging between 180 to 470 billion uh, euros uh, in green hydrogen by 2050. Um, interested to hear your view on how these investments uh, will or should be financed and what are the costs for final consumers? Um, so definitely uh, Europe has set uh, very uh, big ambitions, uh, as you mentioned, and 6 gigawatts by 2024, it's tomorrow, and 40 gigawatts by 2030. So definitely uh, Europe support the development of, uh, of hydrogen, uh, renewable hydrogen, uh, and also low carbon hydrogen uh, in order to, to deliver this ambition. And uh, we welcome uh, the uh, European hydrogen strategy and, and the measures it provides. So uh, we, the strategy of uh, the, um, the, EU, the EU sets a priority on renewable hydrogen and it admits at the same time that um, low carbon hydrogen has a role to play in the short and medium term. And we consider at the level of NG uh, that we need uh, both uh, both type of solution in order to deliver uh, on the uh, ambitious uh, climate targets. At the same time, we think that uh, we need a dedicated um, policy approach uh, to promote uh, the different type of, uh, of hydrogen and their specific virtues uh, for both colors. Uh, why so? Because it helps uh, to uh, better integrate renewable power. Uh, it can convert renewable energy into gas, store them again, as explained before, and transport them over long, long distances, and therefore contribute to the flexibility and security of the supply of the energy system. So uh, green hydrogen has a key role to play. And also for green hydrogen, we think it's important to, to, to develop again, both in parallel, blue, blue and green, because for the CO2 storage capacities, we think by, by essence, it should be limited and allocated to the CO2 emission uh, for which there is no easy carbon-free alternative. Since the quantum of storage capacity uh, could be limited, it's important to, to dedicate them to um, um, not easy carbon-free alternative. And uh, also, we think that uh, the development of territorial energy hubs and like uh, port ecosystems uh, will offer um, to a renewable hydrogen the ability uh, to combine and to offer solution to different type of uses, like industry mobility, they are located in the same place, close to uh, renewable energies like uh, offshore wind. And at the end of the day, it will allow to create local ecosystems and it could be a cost efficient place to start the development of renewable hydrogen. So definitely we think that um, a supportive uh, framework is needed to allow the uh, European industry to scale up the capacities massively and to reduce uh, quickly the costs of hydrogen 
and also uh, to co to cope with uh, the looming competition coming from Asia. So we think that in the uh, European uh, hydrogen strategy, again, um, both levels of supply and demand uh, should be uh, activated uh, to support the development of, uh, of renewable hydrogen. What do we have today in the uh, in the EU in the um, EU hydrogen strategy? On the supply side, the EU strategies strategy envisages setting up a pilot scheme of carbon contract for difference. Uh, and it could be um, used uh, to support the production of hydrogen for refineries, also for the steel and chemical industries. Um, there are also other types of, uh, of sources of funding to support the project, such as the Innovation Fund, the Just Transition Fund, um, and also calls for specific project, R&D project and innovative project. And also, um, such, sorry, such as the grinding call for a 100 megawatt electrolyzer. So clearly, there are today on the supply side, a panel of instruments uh, already um, uh, deployed like innovation fund or to be developed for some other uh, mechanism but that will definitely support uh, the realization of the ambition regarding the demand side the european strategy uh, forces the possibility of a minimum shares of quotas of renewable hydrogen um, or its derivative in specific and uses sector and also they foresee um, a comprehensive terminology uh, for the certification of renewable and low carbon hydrogen. And, uh, and also to mention that uh, the European Commission has launched the uh, European Clean Hydrogen Alliance, which is tasked uh, to uh, build up a clear pipeline of viable investment project and uh, their goal also is to facilitate the cooperation uh, in large investment project between uh, between a lot of players, uh, including also um, uh, the IPSE mechanism that will allow EU member states to support the development of a larger renewable hydrogen project. Uh, so you see that on all their ambition, there are there is a platform. Um, sets today in order to foster the development of uh, of project and that and there are also mechanisms um, starting to be deployed in order to support at the same time the demand and the production side. Um, I wanted to um, to go back to just one specific topic, which uh, can be some sometimes a little controversial, which is since it is a technology that. Um, has a cost difference today and will it will require uh, public support do you see uh, an impending costs on for final consumers either of um, the um, services or the goods that use green hydrogen um, I think that uh, today um, uh, in terms of consumer they want a green product and uh, and companies, private company, they 
today see the willingness of the consumers, the financial consumers, to have access to green products. So they have beat uh, the pressure coming from their customer or also their conviction on their side that they have also uh, to develop uh, and to implement decarbonized solution in order uh, to uh, not only to answer to the, the demand of their customer, but also to be responsible uh, companies. So at the end of the day, uh, there is a demand for that. You see also that in, that in, uh, that in specific cases, uh, consumers are ready to pay a premium for these products. If I can make a parallel uh, with uh, with uh, the bio product, uh, you you foods, for instance, you are buying. I am buying. I am ready uh, for a specific uh, product uh, to uh, pay a bit more in order to have uh, these products produced in specific uh, produced locally, for instance, or produced by using uh, less um, less fertilizers, for instance. So there, are, there is a willingness for some customers to pay more. And it's important maybe uh, in the short term to, um, to specifically focus on this niche market to activate a solution that may be a little bit more costly um, at the beginning, but that will address a specific segment ready to pay a premium today. Interesting. Uh, we're also seeing, uh, and you've mentioned some of Angie's uh, projects before, but we're seeing a lot of energy companies reinforcing their investments um, in green hydrogen facilities. Um, in your perspective, what are the key drivers behind these investments, given that uh, it's not um, a technology that is economically viable as of today? What are companies betting on and what do they believe to be true that is fueling these investments? Um, uh, at the level of NG, um, what I, I can say is that uh, we were convinced that uh, hydrogen has a role to play uh, in the long run and green hydrogen, especially to address the question of intermittency. This was a conviction. And, uh, and uh, as already um, shared, uh, the the market is not yet there. Technical solutions are not yet available at scale. Uh, the customer is maybe not today willing to to pay the full uh, the full cost of uh, the green product, and it's too uh, too too uh, costly compared to the uh, alternative carbonized solution. And there are not today a mechanism in place or a right CO2 uh, signal that uh, will uh, force them uh, to go for this product. So. The context, the momentum from a, from a market perspective is not, not yet there. However, at the level of NG, uh, we see ourselves as an hydrogen economy enabler. We need to activate the market. Something needs to be done in order for this market to happen and in order for this hydrogen economy to, to happen. And, uh, and we are convinced that we should do it uh, through projects. Um, and to activate uh, the, 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 the solution um, through the project, through specific projects, and also through a dialogue with all the, uh, the parties involved, including, as, as mentioned, uh, the public and private uh, stakeholders, in order to design altogether the most cost-efficient solution in the best location today, in order to propose today um, the lower cost uh, of uh, of renewable hydrogen uh, achievable today 
for specific market, what I call a niche market, or what I may call also early adopter in terms of customers, in order, again, step by step to prime the pop, to activate the hydrogen economy, and to contribute to the cost reduction. So we see ourselves as an hydrogen economy enabler, and also we think that we can significantly contribute thanks to the expertise we have all along the value chain. At the end of the day, it's about designing, again, the most cost-effective solution by um, by combining all the pieces all along the value chain uh, up to the customer, uh, providing the, the customer uh, the profile of uh, hydrogen he needs, but also uh, engaging the customer uh, towards um, uh, the identification of flexibilities in their downstream process in order at the end of the day to reduce the total cost of the solution. So we are there um, to, uh, to contribute uh, and to act concretely now for a concrete again uh, pipe of project. And, uh, and we want to, to, to demonstrate that uh, renewable hydrogen is a carbon neutral solution for the industry and heavy duty mobility more specifically uh, through concrete, uh, concrete solution. And, um, and practically, practically speaking, we wanted to position ourselves as a pioneer. We had the choice uh, three years ago, uh, either to, to develop a catch-up strategy or to develop a front-runner strategy. And our choice, because we see uh, hydrogen as a, as a key enabler uh, to reach uh, the climate goals, uh, we wanted uh, to play a front-runner position, to be a pioneer, and to uh, contribute to design project and solution that will uh, enable uh, all um, that will enable uh, all the uh, all the actors that will propose to all the, not not enable but that will um, to propose solution that will uh, concretely enable uh, the customer and uh, and uh, and all the player to reach uh, the climate goals. So uh, it was really the uh, the approach uh, three years ago. And how did we how did we uh, um, in terms of strategy did we decide to implement this strategy? Our intention again was to find the best places uh, and also to develop a hub strategy. So to to deploy step by step what we call territorial platform at industrial scale, because again, scale has a role to play. Uh, so identify the best sites, uh, near these sites, uh, forge partnerships with local players to develop these large-scale renewable hydrogen production capacities, to decarbonize the uses, to partner uh, with the local uh, local players, and, uh, and all together to design the best solution, and again, trigger uh, the virtuous cycle leading to cost reduction. And step by step, by deploying these um, territorial platforms, these hubs, um, the idea is to then to um, to replicate them in various locations, and potentially in the long run to connect all these platforms uh, one to the other, in order to bring renewable hydrogen from places that do not benefit from enough renewable potentials, uh, like Japan, for instance, to connect them to places that have excess of renewables, uh, renewables, like Australia, for instance, 
and in a, and in a sense to bottle the sunshine and to transport it to uh, to Japan. So this is uh, the plan and uh, the the way we intend to uh, roll out uh, and to deploy uh, the uh, the hydrogen uh, hydrogen solution and to contribute to the activation uh, of the hydrogen economy. To end our interview, I'd like to ask you some rapid fire questions that you can answer with one or two words or take a wild guess. Zero carbon Europe by 2050, myth or reality? Uh, clearly for Angie, uh, it's an ambition which is already in action. The future of storage, batteries or power to gas? Both. What year will see the last internal combustion engine vehicle sold in Europe? Um, we see a progressive phasing out. Um, um, for instance, Germany's target is uh, 2035. Uh, what will be the percentage of power generated by prosumers by 2050? For sure, more than today, much more but at the same time also more energy savings. The main challenge for utilities in the next decade is? To jointly develop very large scale projects to accelerate the energy transition and jointly rather than competing. And our final question, do you believe that the Paris Agreement goal of keeping the increase in global average temperature to well below 2 degrees Celsius or indeed at 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels will be attained? And if yes, by what date? Um, it's our target at Engie and we have uh, taken concrete action today. Michelle, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Joanna. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning into Net Zero. You can catch new episodes, subscribe, and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts.